What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Domini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, on the origin of feces. We'll find that determining the origin of poop can be incredibly important for evolutionary biology and even conservation, from discovering the origins of butts to finding the mystery pooper at zoos. It turns out that poop can teach us a lot about animals. And later, I'll be joined by the real-life Batman of Mexico, Dr. Rodrigo Medellin, to talk about glowing poop and long-nosed bats. But first, joining me today to talk about all sorts of crap is friend of the show, podcast producer and writer, Joelle Monique. Hi! Back. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm elated to talk about poop all day. Yes, I'm excited about this one. Excited that you're here to talk about poop with me. So poop is not always just disgusting. Sometimes it is a scientific marvel and it actually teaches us a lot about animals. And uh, later on in the show, we're going to talk about glowing bat poop, which is super exciting. Uh, I already did the interview uh, and I think it's really fun. So, so be pumped for that, everyone. But first... We're going to talk about one of the world's earliest poopers, <gasps> a very ancient animal called the comb jelly. Have you ever seen a comb jelly? No, but Carol? I'm Googling right now. <laughs> Is it? Okay, for the listeners, see, oh, corn jelly, icon jelly, cone jelly, cone, C-O-N-E-J-E-L-L-Y? No, no, comb like a hair comb. Comb jelly. Uh, I just want you to know that if you type in cone jelly, Google knows what you're talking about. <laughs> it will direct you to the right page. Oh, oh, they're beautiful. Yes. They look ancient. They look like yes. aliens. They are clearly yes. about that pride because they glow rainbow tendrils. Ah, uh, yeah. 
A little late for Pride Month, but hey, every month should be Pride Month. Listen, it never ends unless you're a corporation. Here, Pride all the time. Right, exactly. Corporations (laughs) took down their Pride flags already. Not not comb jellies. It's Pride year for comb jellies. (laughs) But yeah, they are... Beautiful, beautiful marine invertebrates. They may look a little bit like jellyfish, but they're actually not jellyfish. They're not they're not a what a jellyfish is called, like a cnidarian. They're actually in the phylum Tenophora. And instead of using undulation like jellyfish used to move, they have a bunch of cilia, which are tiny mobile hairs lining their spaceship-like bodies. So they're shaped kind of like a spaceship, like a transparent alien sh- spaceship that yep. has LED lights shimmering rainbow LEDs that just like go in sort of a wave uh, down their backs. And that's actually the cilia moving in synchrony. And as the light refracts off the cilia, it looks just like LED lights going down. Like, you know, Uh those Christmas lights that kind of go in a wave where like one light turns on and then the next and procession. Twinkling lights. Yes, exactly. That's what these look like. And that's because of these hairs waving in this wave so that they can move forward. But then the light refracts differently. And some of them have bioluminescence. So the bioluminescence will then refract differently through these cilia as they move. So they look like a glowing spaceship. It's an incredible. They're seriously gorgeous creatures. Star Trek uh, really should have been on this already. And maybe they have. I am not the most Star Trek uh, knowledgeable person <laughs> on the planet. But... They, they really do look like spaceships and they really are beautiful. I don't want to jump ahead, but I'm also seeing something called a blood belly comb jelly. Oh, wow. Do you know about this? Um, Let me look it up. I'm not sure. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I may have seen these guys before, but I didn't know they were called blood belly comb jelly. <laughs> it's, it's so, it's, okay. If you think about the comb jelly as the like, Peaceful pride, like gorgeous uh, angular spaceship conquering the cosmos with its beauty. Uh, The blood belly is like a uh, evil, demented stepsister uh, (laughs) who will devour your soul. It it has no qualms about it. It eats souls to survive. Yeah, which is, I think, biologically accurate. No, those are beautiful. (laughs) Yeah, they kind of look like they look sort of like a comb jelly, but then they have Kind of a, kind of a pair of balls, sort of yeah. just dangling down, hanging out Very, in the back, just hanging out with with their weird <laughs> orbs, you know. Still very like alien technology like stuff Definitely. going on. The reason I bring them up on this poop episode is that <laughs> we've actually talked about them before on the show. Uh, the episode "Think Outside the Butt," where we <laughs> talked about animals that don't have conventional butts. And we talked about a species of comb jelly that is one of the only animals to not have a permanent anus where they seem to have what's called a transient anus where they sprout a butt wherever they need it. Oh. And yeah, which is really interesting. So convenient. Exactly. I love that idea. Just like, you know, you don't always need a butt. You just get one when you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Most comb jellies do just have a mouth and an anus, but that isn't what scientists originally thought. They used to think that comb jellies did not have butts, that they only had a mouth and they had no anus. Uh, So... Basically, they, there was this concept that there was a linear progression of the 
evolutionary development of the butt, where you started out with very simple ancient animals like comb jellies that would only have one hole, a mouth, and they'd eat stuff through the mouth and then vomit it back up. And then later on, more complex animals started to develop the butt. But what seems <laughs> to actually have happened is that comb jellies do have butts, and the evolutionary path of the butt is a little more complex, where they maybe gained a butt, and then like later on, some, some later animals seem to have lost it, like I'm talking about other marine invertebrates. So, so there is a more circuitous path in terms of the evolution of the butt than we used to think, and that paradigm, the butt paradigm, was completely changed by this knowledge that comb jellies actually do have butts. <laughs> <laughs> this is serious, Joel. It's nothing to laugh about. It's no, serious it's so science. Funny. Is it because because you know I'm thinking about it on a human and like could a butt be on your hand or on your head? <laughs> Chest butt, side butt. It could have. Yeah, it's you know the the fact that we've got a butt on the butt end uh, <laughs> is probably not a coincidence. It has a lot to do how we start out as this kind of like little like basically a donut. <laughs> And, okay. and grow from that. You know, it, it's it's really interesting how they actually discovered that comb jellies do have a butt. Because again, the conventional wisdom used to be that they did not have an anus, that they only had a mouth, and they'd eat food and basically poop out of their mouths. Ew. But I know, gross. Yucky. But more recent researchers found that this was probably not true. And in fact, it seemed to be that the past researchers who thought that they they like pooped out of their mouth, they're actually just kind of throwing up their food because these researchers were not feeding them properly. So they would feed them improperly and these poor little comb jellies couldn't eat the food so they'd regurgitate it. But when fed properly on the right diet of little tiny baby fish, these comb jellies were able to eat and poop. And for these researchers to demonstrate this very clearly on video, what they did is they fed the comb jellyfish genetically modified fish fry, so baby <laughs> larval fish, that glowed red. So have you ever seen um, glowfish in a pet store? Glowfish? Like, no, what yeah, are these? Like at like at PetSmart or something. They're like they, they look like highlighter markers oh and God. fish had a baby. They're and so they're these cute. glowing fish. And people have this concept that, that they, like, inject them with dye or something, and that's not the case. They actually are genetically modified to have this glowing hue. Wow. So they had these genetically modified fish, and comb jellies will eat small fish, so, so like, larval fish, and fed the comb jellies this diet of these glowing red fish. Therefore, the comb jelly poop would be glowing red. Perfect. So they could show... Clearly on video, the them eating the little larval fish, the tiny fish, and seeing the fish scales go through the digestive tract on the comb jelly and then come out their butt all on camera, all in its glowing red glory. The thing scientists put animals through, why <laughs> are you filming this animal pooping? That definitely crosses a line. I feel like on the list of priorities for a comb jellyfish, its privacy is probably pretty low. <laughs> I am loving these glowfish. It's like if a Crayola crayon box came to life, but like in yeah. the form of a fish. I was looking at glowfish tetras and they have cool color names for all the electric green, sunburst orange, <laughs> cosmic blue, 
Moonrise pink and galactic purple is obviously my favorite. Marvelous mauve. <laughs> <laughs> Just like lipstick colors. Yes. Starfire red. It always feels like they're going to run out of creativity when it cuts. In fact, I feel like they're already there. It's They just really are grasping at straws when they're trying to name various shades of red with mm, lipsticks. Mm, mm. Like cherubic cherry and, you know, oh, God. Um, Sometimes they ridiculous just... Ridiculous red. Fuego, flaming hot. Anything that has to yeah. do with flames flaming and fire, hot. they've done. My favorite red... In nail polish colors, is OPI's Waitress Red. It is wow. so good. If you think about like a 1940s waitress who had red painted nails, it's exactly that color. Just bold and fun and funky. I think I am wearing the color red of Digested Glowfish Red from uh, from Essie <laughs> Nails. Perfect. <laughs> so this was... Great. Re- it's it's always amazing to me when researchers come up with an idea of, you know what? We can't. It's hard to see their poop. So let's just make it glow, oh, which we'll actually bring up again later on in the show when we have our interview with uh, Dr. Medellin. But before that, I do want to talk about zoos and the struggles that zookeepers have with taking care of animals health, which is sometimes more complicated than you would initially think because uh, one thing they have to do is they have to keep track of animal poop to see like the animal's health. And I don't want to be a-, a zookeeper anymore. <laughs> no, thank you. I would not like that I, job. I stopped wanting to be a zookeeper as a kid when I heard about what penguin poop smelled like because mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of being a zookeeper and being with the penguins, but it smells like decomposing fish because that's that's what, what it is of. Ew, oh. and it's just oh. i i already i can't honestly like i can't even smell tuna like canned tuna <laughs> I, I can't smell without like passing out like that fishy smells too strong for me yeah and then it's like oh if i my my dream job of like taking care of penguins but i would constantly be vomiting because of the penguin poop smell can't do it i'm sorry oh, i'll have you. to appreciate the penguins from afar but yeah, so poop is very important diagnostic tools for zoos. And they will test poop for hormone levels to keep track of things like whether an animal is pregnant, whether the animal has hit puberty, if it's healthy, if it's got a normal hormone levels. But the problem is you can't tell one turd from another. Like when you when you do right. a poop, it doesn't come with like a name tag. Like I'm this afraid. poop this poop courtesy of Katie or whatever, uh, for example. So if you like want to track, say, like Percy the polar bear's poop, uh, you don't know if it's Percy the polar bear poop or Penny the polar bear poop. Who knows whose poop it is? So unless you happen to like catch them in the act of pooping and then run in and grab the poop. But I think there are a lot of protocols. You can't just like jump in the polar bear pen right after someone's done a duty. So... It's a lot better if you can just wait until they're done pooping and then go in when, you know, when it's safe and then grab their poop. But how do you tell the poop apart, Joel? I don't know. You make it, you make it glitter. You put Yay! some pizzazz on that poop. Yeah. Yay! I love glitter. <laughs> so to tell who the mystery pooper is in a zoo... They will give the animal they want to track a diet of their normal food with edible glitter. So 
Sometimes they use bright, colorful beads. Sometimes they use food coloring. These are additives to the food that are harmless, just get passed through the digestive system, but it will make their poop colorful, sparkly, and glittery, and easy to spot. So they, the additive depends on the texture of the food, so they'll use food coloring for like wet food. They may use beads that they put into like meat, uh, but glitter is a really popular one because its texture, it doesn't really change the texture of the food. Sure, so the sure. animal will still want to eat it. So they feed a specific animal, like a slab of meat that's got some glitter in it. And then when they poop it out, it's glittery poop. And then they know whose poop that is. <laughs> I love it. I like the idea of thinking somebody's like, oh, oh, the blue glitter. Great, great. Leo, it's doing good. Next. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, you know, somebody who has eaten plenty of glitter, uh, both before it was supposed to be edible <laughs> and after they started adding it onto, like, cupcakes and things. I agree that it does not too much change the texture of your food and is still delicious. Joel, I have to ask you, why yeah. why would you eat glitter? Because I was three and I wanted to mm. sparkle on the inside and the outside. Did it make your poops glittery? <laughs> I don't remember that part, but I, I'm sure that it did. Uh, I have to ask my mom now. Like when you were wiping my butt, uh, do you happen to see it sparkle? <laughs> I remember eating a crayon mm. uh, when I was a kid, and you know, it, it they basically just come out. Yeah, you know, yeah, on the other end, they're waxy. They just slide yeah. right out, uh, yeah. and it will be the color of the crayon you ate. So, uh, yeah. children, that's not an invitation. But no. if you, you know, had to. You know, Kids that's and you know. or and or adults listening to this show don't. This is not an invitation to eat glitter and crayons. <laughs> I'm not your mom. I can't tell you what to do. But legally speaking, this is not an invitation to <laughs> eat glitter and crayons. It's just oh, you know, some kid is gonna start pooping out some glitter and say like, "I learned it from Creature Feature." Listen, uh, you did learn it here, but you also got a, a hefty. Dose of knowledge that you should not do that. (laughs) You were warned. Although, I mean, not saying, again, not to say you should do this. I think it it does kind of just pass through pretty harmlessly. Yeah. I think you'd have to eat a lot of, like, I could imagine if you ate, like, a lot of glitter, it could form an impaction. Again, not an invitation to to find out. No, (laughs) no, I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying I wonder how much glitter it would take to create a medical crisis. I'm going to say probably like at least a cup, like Mm. on those tiny bodies. You know, if you're like 45 pounds, like a four or five year old. Right. You know, we eat a full cup of glitter. That. Yeah, that's not good news. Parents might need to step in. Doctors. It'd be it'd be a fun surgery, though. Right. Like you you kind of like get in there and it's like surprise glitter. (laughs) But don't eat glitter, guys, unless you're a polar bear at the zoo in which please do eat glitter because zookeepers need that. To see if you're pregnant. To eat, eat what's being fed to you, animals, okay? Those zookeepers, they care. <laughs> they love you, and they just want you to be well. <laughs> My dog ate, I think, a cupcake wrapper once, and it just came out on the other end. Like, it, it was as if she was presenting to me her turd as a cupcake. Like, here you go, fresh from the butt. Uh, I... I... Sorry, I got grossed out by fresh from the butt. <laughs> I, got, I got I got stopped immediately. I was like, 
And I just pictured Dairy Queen and it was a mess. It's it, yeah, my head sorry. is now filled with gross poop thoughts. Thank you, Katie. I apologize for that image, but <laughs> there it is. Can't take it back now. <laughs> so funny. Well, we're going to take a quick break, but when we get back, I will be joined by Dr. Rodrigo Medellin, who is a bat ecologist and known as the Batman of Mexico, and he has some very interesting bat facts, as well as a story about glowing bat poops, so stay tuned for that. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I have the honor to interview someone who is known as the real-life Batman of Mexico. He is a professor of ecology and conservation at the Institute of Ecology at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. He has been tracking the migration of lesser long-nosed bats in order to help conserve the species and save them from endangerment. But in order to do so, he's employed an incredibly innovative method of tracking their movements. And it involves seemingly magical poop that glows. You can see him in action on PBS's Nature, the Batman of Mexico. Welcome to the show, Dr. Rodrigo Medellin. Katie, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for joining us. I am as excited as if I'm meeting a superhero, the real-life Batman. I love the work that you do with bats. I'm a big fan of bats. I'm sure most of my listeners are also big fans of bats. But often, just in general, they kind of lose out on the popularity contest when we're talking about animals. Like, there are a lot of cute animals that everyone loves, a lot of larger species that are more gregarious, more popular, but bats kind of tend to lose out a lot of the time. So why are you so interested in bats? And was there a moment that you fell in love with bats? Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a case of uh, unfairly treated animals. We know that there's a lot of animals that have a negative public image from snakes to spiders to scorpions to sharks to bats. 
none of those do more for your everyday well-being than bats. Bats are connected to your everyday life. From whatever we eat, to whatever we wear in clothes, to whatever we drink. So uh, that started in a very early time in my life. Uh, when I was 13, the first bat came into my hands. And I really saw that this was the underdog, the real underdog, in which they take all of the bad things that people can think of and they apply them to bats. Bats have a, a false reputation of being the devil's envoys and to being filthy and to convey all kinds of diseases to us. None of that is true. So I've devoted my life since then to, to learning about bats, digging about their natural history and, and showing the incredible services that they provide to ecosystems and to us and then connect to people and explain to people that they really are good nocturnal friends. Now, you mentioned they're even connected to things like what we drink and what we eat. How are bats involved in that? Bats are the single most important pest controllers of any agricultural crop, from corn to cotton to chili peppers. Everything that you eat is connected to bats because bats consume between 10 and 30% of the pests that are going to affect your crop. But that is that, that doesn't stop there. If you like drinking tea, if you like drinking coffee, Bats are also the controllers of the, of the most important pests of tea and coffee. And furthermore, what would I say? As a Mexican, I'm very proud of my heritage. And we have tequila and mezcal that are going through a boom all over the world. But we have them because bats are the key essential pollinators of agaves, the, the plant that is used to produce tequila and mezcal. Now, when people think about bats, I don't think they think pollinator. We usually think of bats as being maybe insectivores. A lot of people think of vampire bats, the, the really the only species that drink blood, but they're uh, pretty popular in terms of our general culture. But we don't think of bats as being pollinators. We think of like bees or maybe even other insects, but that a bat doesn't come to mind. In fact, I think a lot of people don't even realize that some bats have a role in pollination. So can you talk a little bit about that? What species of bats are pollinators and how, how do they do this and, and how have they evolved to become pollinators? Sure. I mean, there's an astounding number of species of bats in the world. Most people don't have an idea that there's more than 1,400 species of bats in the world. Three out of every four of those bats feed on insects. But then we have 12% of the bats that feed on nectar and pollen, 10% of the bats that feed on fruits and disperse the seeds on, of many, many plants, mostly tropical plants. In fact, we've demonstrated that the tropical rainforests rely heavily on the bats dispersing their seeds a lot more than any bird. And then there's a few bats, maybe 15 or so species, that feed on the flesh of other vertebrates, including little birds and rodents and other bats. And out of the more than 1,400 species, there's only three that feed on blood. And because of these three, all of the rest goes in, uh, 
And people think, oh no, that animal is going to suck your blood. No, absolutely not true. Not true at all. That's what's always been both interesting and a little frustrating to me is that there are so many species of bats and most of them aren't blood drinkers, but we have just this one image of bats that people think of like little bats with dangerous little teeth that are going to bite you, which isn't even true of most vampire bats. Uh, they are not even, they don't even kill their prey. They don't suck them dry. They just lick at a little wound. They're, they're pretty harmless to, well, completely harmless to humans, really. But we don't have the sense then of how incredibly diverse bats are. And I want to talk a little bit about the lesser long-nosed bats because I think they defy the popular conception of what a bat looks like. I think they're adorable. I love how they look because they have this long muzzle, which makes them, in my mind, particularly cute. They have very cute little faces. But can you describe, like, why do they have that long muzzle which kind of goes against what you would think a bat would look like. Sure. I mean, the lesser long-nosed bat and the Mexican long-nosed bat are two bats in, this, in the genus Leptonicteris that are very, very cute. That is the word, Katie. <laughs> they are cute. And I don't, I don't use the word lightly. They will win over anybody who sees a lesser long-nosed bat. It's going to be immediately won over. Uh, you know, most wild animals, regardless of it being an opossum or a raccoon or a snake or a bat, if you handle them, they are going to bite you. They're mm -hmm. going to try to defend themselves, right? Mm -hmm. Well, not the case with the lesser long nose bat. <laughs> you handle them and they're so sweet. They're so incredibly tame. They have such well good temper that you can handle them, of course, with care, etc., but uh, you can see that all they're interested in is going to their, to their flowers and feeding on the nectar and being covered with pollen. That's what <laughs> they want to do. Uh, so they do have, they're about an ounce, less than an ounce of a bat. Um, so it's less than a foot from wingtip to wingtip. And then they have that long snout with a little, what we call a nose leaf at, at the tip. That long snout is needed to support the very long tongue that they extend into the flowers that they visit. And then their tongue at the tip has a little bristle. Their papillae have become little hairs. So they, they scratch the end, the, the, the bottom of the, of the flower to extract all of the nectar there. And they're very effective. Think of mopping the mm -hmm. end of the flower, and they're mopping the flower like that and, 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 and using the, the nectar. And agaves have actually learned to use bats for their, for their benefit. In fact, agaves have enslaved the bats <laughs> to, to, to do the service that the agaves need. 12 million years ago, they started co-evolving. Now, evolutionarily, agaves have learned that if they produce nectar that is a little below the concentration that the bats need, the bats are going to come back and come back and come back and come back and come back. <laughs> and the more they come back, the more pollen that they're going to take away. So it's actually the, the agaves feeding them very little so mm -hmm. that they keep them trapped, enslaved, and coming back all the time. 
It's like a slot machine for bats. <laughs> <laughs> Very addictive, exactly. That's the same. I love that, and I, I love these pictures. I actually think one of the pictures I've used on the show before has been taken by you. It's these bats just completely covered in pollen. They look they look yellow because they've become so covered in pollen, but they've been essentially tricked, or maybe it's it, it is somewhat beneficial to the bats as well to get that nectar. But they have uh, been tricked into doing the reproductive duties for the flowers. And you mentioned that that agaves have co-evolved with bats. How dependent are the plants on the bats? The agaves have have uh, turned into slaves to bats because basically, what of evolutionarily again, what they've done now is that they, their flowers open at night. Number one, and then the little anthers, the bags where the pollen is open half an hour later then people people are going to say when you hear when they hear your show they're going to say no 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 that's not true i have seen bees and hummingbirds and all kinds of other things around agave flowers yes they are there in the morning now the the agave pollen lives for about 12 hours so they open at say 7 p.m. by 7 or 8 a.m., the pollen is dead. Mm. It doesn't matter if a, if a bee comes back, if a hummingbird comes back and, and is covered with pollen. That pollen is dead and is not going to pollinate the other flower. So it's only bats that can pollinate them. Uh, uh, that has turned into a, a really key element in the biology of these two things in that they coexist in space. Wherever you have agaves, you have nectar bats. And where you have nectar bats, you have agaves. Always, they're connected, hand in hand. And they really rely on each other. So if you take one out of the equation, the other one is really going to suffer, right? It is going to be a big, deep-reaching uh, effect. And in fact, right now, we're working with the tequila and the mezcal producers to tell them that they need to allow a certain amount of agaves to flower for the benefit of their own crop, for the benefit of the agaves. So we're producing bat-friendly tequila and bat-friendly mezcal, which these people are investing their own agaves because they have realized that without bats, they're not going to have tequila for long. Well, that's not good. <laughs> so even if you don't <laughs> like bats, but if you like tequila, you should care about the bats. Absolutely. Although I can't imagine not liking these, especially the lesser long-nosed bats. They're so adorable. And you have been tracking the migration of the lesser long-nosed bats and the amount of distance that they travel. Why is it important to learn like the, the distances that they travel? Since bats are nocturnal and not like birds that you can see them during the day, you can even put GPS units that have little solar panels on them so that the batteries uh, recharge and recharge and recharge and they continue to transmit. We cannot do that with the bats. So we know a lot less about the migration of these bats. We know that they migrate between 1,200 and 1,500 kilometers from central southern Mexico to northern Mexico and the south of the U.S. But we don't know what are the stepping stone caves where they stop. And we need to make sure that those caves are also protected. So we've been using all kinds of different tricks and trinkets and things 
to try to pursue these, uh, this information and these bats along their way. Well, one of my favorite tricks that you've used is making their poop glow, which I absolutely love. We love to talk about poop on this show because it, I like to destigmatize animal poop. I think that it can teach us a lot about evolutionary biology. And if we can get past the like, oh, poop, well, that's kind of gross. It's actually really fascinating. And I love what you've done in your research with bat poop. Can you describe why, why the glowing bat poop? What's going on there? Why have you done that and how? You know, I was with my students <clears throat> at a bar, actually, talking about how could we follow these bats on one night and one night only, trying to understand, not necessarily in the context of their uh, migration, but the actual movements during the night. Remember that these are all lactating females, females who have their babies in the cave, right? Well, we, we thought of using ultraviolet fluorescent powder it's a really crazy thing, but we thought if we could sprinkle the emerging bats with ultraviolet fluorescent powder and then capture them in the feeding grounds where the columnar cacti are that are expecting the bats to come and show that they actually have that ultraviolet fluorescent powder, we're going to show that it's these bats are coming from this cave that are visiting those columnar cacti 50 kilometers away. Wow. And then my students were stationed there at the at the Saguaro field. They were capturing those bats and sprinkling them with a different color of ultraviolet fluorescent powder. So we were sprinkling, and this is, I'm sorry, my friends, I'm going to disappoint you. This is very high tech. That is beyond any lab in the world. And it's called kitchen colanders. <laughs> We use kitchen colanders to sprinkle the emerging bats with yellow glowing fluorescent powder. And that was thousands and thousands of bats that we were marking with that. And then my students at 50 kilometers away with the columnar cacti there were capturing the bats and making sure that they indeed have yellow glowing powder. And yes, they did. But we also needed the reverse. We needed to show the reverse movement so I told them to put the bats, the captured bats, in a in a plastic bag, leaving the head out, just the body, and smear the entire body of the bat with blue glowing fluorescent powder, and then release them. And then the next evening, once the bats are gone, I'm going to go into the cave and check with my UV light to see if there's any blue glowing poop. <laughs> And that is going to give us the hint that, in fact, these bats are going 50 kilometers and back and feeding while flying. And they're doing all of this with fuel that is composed of sugar water. How do they do it? Big open question. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, so they're they're licking this powder off their bodies and then pooping it out. It's completely harmless to the bats, but then it gives you this very innovative way to track, you know, see, well, this individual bat that I know is going to lick off this powder and then digest it and then have glowing poop, and then you can see where they've gone. It's really incredible. It's actually very pretty. I saw the video of the glowing poop. It must feel like you're finding some kind of precious gemstone, but it's but it's bat poop. <laughs> exactly. That was the feeling. You should have seen me jumping up and down when we finally found blue glowing poop inside the cave. It was amazing. <laughs> Biggest finding. 
Yeah, but that is that is so inter- such an interesting finding because I have now I'm not a bat expert, but I have read about how the way that bats had to evolve to go from, you know, they, they didn't start out as flying animals. They were mammals that did not fly and then they had to evolve flight. So things like their metabolism and immune system had to go through some very radical changes to allow the amount of energy that it takes for flight. So to see that in action that they can run on that, you know, just sugar water for so long is really incredible. It's amazing. It's really, uh, uh, we need to understand the physiology of these bats because how can they possibly travel 50 kilometers one way, 100 kilometers round trip, and, and, and then suckle their babies? And all this is on sugar water. So this, of course, helped us understand that we can jackknife those 50 kilometers to 100 kilometers linear movements, which is going to happen well, that's what's going to happen when they're migrating. They're going to at least jump from one stepping to- stone cave to another one that is 100 kilometers to the north and then another 100 kilometers and so on and so forth. That narrows down our search for these uh, stepping to- stone caves and then protecting each and every one of those caves. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You mentioned this is important for conservation. So what are some of the threats that bats are facing now that are important for us as humans to really address? The main threat that is affecting the lesser long-nosed bat and the Mexican long-nosed bat is disturbance at the roost, intended and unintended, accidental or on purpose. Uh, people used to go to these caves and and disturb them with noise, with light, with movement. And you know that we were the ones, we were part of the group that enlisted this species in the Endangered Species Act in the U.S. and in the Mexican Federal List of Endangered Species in the 80s and 90s. And then we started working towards the recovery, which included a big uh, environmental education program that helped 
win over the people who were living right next to the biggest caves into partners, into, into bad defenders. That turned into, 20 years later, into the recovery of the species. And we in Mexico delisted this species in 2013, which is a good, big good news that, uh, you know, the world needs good news in conservation and in many other items. Uh, and then the U.S. delisted the species in 2017. So we're now talking about a recovered species out of a recovery plan. So we can do this. We can save many other species in the world. I love stories like that because I think often people get this sense that, oh, we're just, we're all doomed because we've already screwed up the planet. We've already uh, caused too many extinction. There's no going back. And that's absolutely not true. There's so many things we can do. And I, I love the fact that you enlist people who are living near these habitats in order to help them actually preserve the species that they're neighbors with. I think that's really interesting. You were telling me this story about how you discovered some bats in a zoo, a local zoo, where you would not expect to find them. And the zoo let you go in and do some research on these bats. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, we have in this lab, we have a lot of interest in nectar feeding bats. And there's a, a student of mine who's working at the zoo, at the National Zoo in Mexico City. And he told me, he texted me one day, well, there's there's all of three columnar cacti with flowers right now. I said, why don't you set up a camera trap and see if there's any bats visiting? Next morning, he showed me the pictures and yes, there's bats coming there. The, the, the cacti are in the enclosure of the brown hyena. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to talk to the, to the director of the zoo. I said, do you think you can put your brown hyenas in the cage and then we can get into the enclosure and set up mist nets and catch the bats there? And he did. Three days later, we were there with our mist nets smelling like hyena all over the place. <laughs> and then we set up the mist nets and we caught a bunch of nectar feeding bats in the midst of Mexico City, in the center of one of the biggest urban centers in the world, how on earth are these bats finding these three columnar cacti <laughs> in, in the Mexico City Zoo? It's crazy. So now we have a whole program looking at how bats use, are using the Botanical Garden here at the university, as another zoo by the airport, by the Mexico City airport. <laughs> lots of light, lots of noise, lots of traffic. And the bats are there. It's crazy. Yeah. I love that story because I think it is another testament to how much power we have in terms of we can help these species survive even amongst humans with just three plants, just three flowers blooming in a zoo, and they will come and find it. I know that species are very fragile at times, but at the same time, they can be very resilient, and it just requires... a a little bit of effort on our part to to help them out. So I, exactly. I love that. Just just making sure that we realize that we share this the, the landscape with other species and giving them their space. It's so important, so important, Katie. Exactly. No, I, I absolutely agree. Before we go, I just want to close off by asking, you know, most of our listeners on the show, I think, are probably pretty big fans of bats. But as we mentioned before, I think bats get pretty rough treatment in popular culture and in the media, and people are often afraid or disgusted by them. They think that bats will, like, make a nest in their hair, which is a total myth. 
they think they'll bite you and suck your blood, which just doesn't really happen. I think one thing I'm concerned about is that there's a lot of news about zoonotic diseases. And unfortunately, bats are a vector of disease sometimes with when it comes to zoonotic diseases. Um, so I'm kind of worried that because of this and because of the pandemic, there's going to be a resurgence in this fear of bats, seeing them as dirty and as vermin. What would you say in terms of how do we mitigate that fear of, of bats? Sure. Well, there's, this is a very, very important topic, Katie. I have to tell you that I have never worked harder to defend bats from attacks from everywhere than in the past year and a half. Since the pandemic started, with the first uh, declarations that this was a bat virus, which is absolutely not true, uh, I started defending bats left and right all over the world. Now, we know that the, that the virus that has us all in our homes, in our offices, etc., not being able to interact with other human beings as we used to, it's a human virus. It's not a bad virus that, that moved into a human being and then all human beings are infected. You can only get COVID-19 from another human being. It's not true that if a bat flies by you or if you have bats in your belfry or if you visit a cave, you're going to be infected. That is absolutely not true. There is a species of virus that is closely related to this virus in some bats in China. But that doesn't mean that though that virus gave rise to this virus. That is as much as to say that since we share so much of our genetic information with chimps, chimps arose from us and we, or we come from chimps. That's not true. We share a common ancestor and that's the same case with the, with the COVID virus and the bad virus. They share a common ancestor. Nobody knows how far, how long ago. But that is not true that, that, that one of them comes from the other. Not true. And if, furthermore, if some crazy scientist would take the bad virus and put it in a human body, that bad virus would not be able to infect us because it doesn't have the proper structure on its outside surface to, to insert into our, ourselves. So that's not true at all. The real truth is that this did not come from bats. There are some other possibilities that maybe bats can give us some kind of, uh, of diseases. But it's the same case with rats and with songbirds outside your window and even, even with chickens. We know about uh, avian influenza that is affecting human beings as well. So it's in our best interest to preserve ecosystems, to protect the rainforest, to save a species, and that is going to make it so that it's a lot less likely that we're going to get infected by any other uh, zoonotic disease. The interests of conserving species and the interests of protecting humanity from zoonotic diseases are perfectly aligned because we just don't want to be over interacting with them to the point where we are, you know, constantly encroaching on their environment. And that will also reduce the chance of a zoonotic disease from, from any animal. I, I think people have this sense that, you know, we can only get zoonotic diseases from bats, but that's absolutely not true. We can, in fact, you know, farm animals are a huge concern because of their proximity to humans and their environment. So, so yeah, no, I, I think that's really important. Yeah. And is there any, any like last thing you want to say about bats to get people excited? 
Absolutely. Everyone can do something to help the cause of bats. Number one, please share this story. Please share the, the fact that you heard today with your neighbors in the office, with your friends, with your family. Just share the, the knowledge that bats are so incredibly important for the functioning of the ecosystems and for our own well-being every day. Number two, if there are, and there are, I know there are many bat conservation organizations in your area, consider donating. Consider getting in touch and volunteering and helping them along. They're having a hard time right now. And then number three, if you're really into bats, start learning, start reading. And why not put up a bat house outside your home, in the local park, on the tree, up on the side of the building, wherever you can put bat houses that are going to help uh, bats enormously. So please just think, of how much we owe to bats. And the next time you have, you enjoy a glass of tequila, raise your <laughs> glass and your first sip of tequila is going to be to the health of bats. To the health of bats, wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Dr. Rodrigo Medellin, who you can see on Nature's The Batman of Mexico. Thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you, Katie. You dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more more info now. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, yeah. And some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.